Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. This morning, we're going to be concluding our We the Church series. And last week, Tony spoke about that we have been saved to serve. But the problem is, is that when we serve off a wrong foundation, it gets around our neck. And so as Tony was sharing, we're saved to serve, which is absolutely 100% true. But we're saved to serve Jesus. Because as long as we keep Jesus front and centre in everything that we do, our serving is always going to come off of a right foundation. But the reality is, is that it's not just about our serving. As long as we keep Jesus front and centre in everything we do, then we will receive and we'll be able to work out of the grace that God gives us. You know, as soon as Jesus moves slightly off centre, we have a propensity of getting ourselves into trouble. We start thinking we can do this on our own and it then becomes a slippery slope. And so can I encourage you, always keep Jesus front and centre of your thinking in everything we do. All of those messages are obviously available off of our website on our podcast channel free to download. So make the most of it. There are some messages that I keep coming back to. And that message of Tony's last week is one of them. It's going to be one of those things. If we keep coming back to, we keep massaging in and we keep on the right foundation as we do what Jesus has called us to do. I don't know about you, but I'm amazed by the army of volunteers that always seem to gather together in a crisis situation. If you think more recently, only a couple of years ago, the Pinery bushfires, we have volunteers going out of their way to put themselves in harm's way to fight a fire for people that they don't even know. Just amazes me. For those who were displaced from their homes and had to go to evacuation centres, the army of volunteers that would work with those people, helping them with information, helping them with their children, helping them with the practicalities that they needed. There's always this army of volunteers that seems to rise whenever there is a crisis situation. I don't know about you, but I remember back to 2015. There was an earthquake in Nepal. And it was this massive quake. It measured like 7.8 on the Richter scale. It lasted some 50 seconds. Just imagine the earth shaking. 7.8 for 50 seconds. It continued, there were continued aftershocks. One of the aftershocks measured 6.7 on the Richter scale. So almost as strong as the initial quake. And you think about that, and the initial quake happened and all the damage occurred, but then to have another one so close after, uh, damaging already weakened structures. I remember seeing the rescue teams rushing in, going at great lengths to try to find survivors. And if you have a look at the screen, some 24 hours after 
the earthquake, a four-month-old baby boy was found in the rubble. Muddy, dirty, hungry, crying, but found, alive, rescued. I remember the celebration and the joy from the TV coverage. Yay, we found one. I remember the hope and the motivation that that gave the rescue teams. Come on, we got one. We can find more. And I remember looking at this picture and going, wow, what a fantastic picture of the mission that Jesus Christ has given his church. You see, in Luke 19, it says, or Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. See, in church circles, we use many words to describe those who don't know Jesus. We say that they're the unchurched. We say that they're non-Christians. We say that they're far from God. And if you're here in this building and you'd put yourself in one of those categories, I just want to say thank you. Thanks for coming. We are so glad that you are here because we exist for people like yourself to come and visit, to come and see, to come and connect and find God. You see, we use many terms to describe those that don't know God, but the Bible calls them lost. You see, the truth is, Christianity really is a lost cause. We exist to seek and to save the lost. See, Jesus spoke a lot about the lost. And in fact, in Luke 15, there's an entire chapter devoted to this. Luke 15, verse 3, Jesus told three stories that we would call parables. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he finds it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he'll call together his family and neighbours saying, Rejoice with me because I've found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she'll call in her friends and neighbours and say, Rejoice with me because I've found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. To illustrate his point further, you get the feeling Jesus is on a roll here? (laughs) To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Let me tell you, my dad probably wouldn't have done that. 
A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as your hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Jesus tells three stories, all with the same theme, but all of the stories are different. What Jesus is trying to do is give us some tips and some keys as to how we can help the lost. And the first thing that I see that Jesus is saying is that he highlights the condition of the lost. See, they're all lost, but they're not all lost for the same reasons. You see, the first that was lost was the sheep. Now, the sheep didn't mean to get lost. He was just being a sheep. Now, sheep like two things, grass and water. That's it. And so the sheep was out going, hmm, bit of grass. Ooh, some water. Ooh, more grass. Oh, more grass. Oh, grass looks better over there. Oh, water. Oh, grass. Water. Oh, that's good water. And without realising it, had moved a long way from where he was. And see, sheep, they don't have any kind of mechanism. It's not like they could dial up the GPS to find their way home. They're stuck. They know they're stuck. They just don't know what to do about it. So what does a sheep do? <laughs> now, if you could sheep speak sheep, what it's really saying is, help me, I'm here. And it's all it can do to try to draw attention to itself for the shepherd to come and rescue it. There are people in our lives that are a bit like that. We move house 
one to another. We move jobs one to another. We take different commitments on one to another. And all of a sudden, we can find ourselves a long way away from where we started. And when we find ourselves a long way away, we really need someone just to come and tap us on the shoulder. Say, hey, where are you? How'd you get here? Why don't you come back? We need that shepherd to point it out and to rescue us. The coin, the coin's completely different. The coin was still lost, but the coin didn't know any better. The coin is just doing what coins do. Staying where you left it, or if you drop it, rolling away. That's what coins do. Just doesn't know any different. Doesn't have a voice, can't say, hey, I'm over here. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if your car keys could just say, hey, here I am. Wouldn't that solve so many arguments at home? There's from time to time, my wife comes up to me and says, hey, have you seen my keys? At that point, there is one guaranteed answer that is going to see me hit. Hey, have you seen my keys? Oh, they're probably where you left them, dear. Yeah, not a good move. Bit of marriage advice, not a good move. Better to say no than ask the question, where did you leave them? Because if they knew how to answer that question, the keys wouldn't be lost. We also know people like this coin. You see, more often particularly in today's society, we're living in a post-Christian world. When I grew up, my parents took me to church and to Sunday school, and so I knew Bible stories. But that's not the case for many people in our world today. For many people in our world, they don't know anything about Jesus, don't know anything about the Bible. They're just doing their own thing, and there's a saying, you don't know what you don't know. They just don't know. And so, like a coin, it needs someone to find it. I remember growing up in church for a long time. I remember in the 20s, well, sorry, 20s, in my 20s. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me just clarify that one. I remember in my 20s, there was a big call for people to be missionaries. I think there's a big call now for stay-at-home missionaries. I think there's a big need for people to just be in their workplace, be in their streets, be in their general circle of friends, but bring Jesus with them. The final one, completely different. The son, the condition of the son, completely different. The son said to the father, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance I am out. Willful, defiant, done. Have you ever had one of those shake your fist moments at God? I have. What are you doing, God? Why did that happen? God's never late, but he's missed some awesome opportunities to be early. 
Why not now, God? When we're wanting to help the lost, we need to understand why they're lost in the first place. Because their condition changes what we can do for them. Because if we don't understand the why, we'll never understand the how. We always need to remember what is the condition of the lost. The second thing that I see from this passage of Scripture is the value of the lost. Being lost in and of itself implies there's value. Why? Because being lost means that you've probably noticed something is missing. And if you've noticed it's missing, it means that it has some form of value to you. You see, the story of the woman and her coin, nowadays our coins are not worth much. But in her time, that coin was a day's wage. Put it in context. If you lost a day's wage, what would your search look like? If you lost a day's wage, wouldn't you be searching everywhere just like this woman did? What about the sheep? Well, the sheep represents livelihood. It's an asset of a business, but it also generates income for the person. There's a value in that sheep, both because it's a sheep, asset, and because what it brings, income. What about the sun? Sun is your own flesh and blood. You don't get much more valuable than that. There's something valuable in being lost. Have you ever gotten home from work or school or uni and you just flop on the lounge just like, oh, I'm done. And as you do that, you feel something move out of your pocket. Now I have a dilemma. Do I get back up again to find out what it was or do I just leave it? Done that before? You're in the lounge, you're in your groove. You've had a hard day. Do I get up or not? The answer to the question, do I get up or not, doesn't depend usually on the value of the item. Because whether it's on the couch, in your pocket, wherever, it's still the same value. Whether you get up or not comes down to your perceived value of what just came out of your pocket. Let me tell you. Let's say you flop into that lounge, you feel something move, you don't know what it is, but you suspect it's the $2 coin left over from the change from your lunch. Am I getting up for that $2 coin? Nope. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Because my perceived value is not worth me getting up out of the lounge. I flop into the lounge, I feel something move. Oh, oh it might be my wallet. Do I get up? Probably not. To be honest with you, that $2 is probably more money than is in my wallet anyway. <laughs> Whatever's in my wallet, that's fine. It can stay there. I'll get it later. 
You flop into the lounge, you feel something move out of your pocket. Oh, that might be my car keys and my house keys. Do I get up? Oh, look, probably, to be honest, probably. I would probably get up because for me, my keys are always in my pocket and if they're not in my pocket and I walk out the front door, I'm in trouble. I'd think, like, it'd be a struggle, but I'd probably get up for my car keys. If it was my mobile phone, there wouldn't even be a question. I'd be up. And I'd make sure that that phone was back where it was meant to be. It's not the actual value of the item. It's the perceived value of the item. If I put those four items on the table and I ask my nine-year-old son, Riley, to come and take whichever he wants, he will go for the $2 coin every time. Because his perceived value of that $2 coin is different to my perceived value of that $2 coin. When it came to that earthquake in Nepal, the rescue mission started immediately. There's no question. There might be survivors. We need to go find them. There's no debate. Oh, I don't know if there's enough room in the budget to go find them. Oh, I can't be bothered moving all those tons of rubble. Let's just ground this a little bit. Oh, I don't feel called to go move rubble. Oh, I didn't hear Jesus say to me, go move rubble. We all pitch in. We all go move rubble because in a crisis situation, there's something intrinsically inside us that goes, you know what? Whoever that person is, they're worth it. And so we jump in immediately. Unfortunately, I think that we tend to only see the value of the lost people in a crisis situation. We need God to come back into my life. I need the Holy Spirit to come back into my life and show me the value of the lost. I need my perceived value to line up with what God says of the lost. Because when I understand what God's value is for the lost then I will do what God did for them. When I value them in the same way, it will motivate me to act in the same way as Jesus himself. There's value in the lost. The third thing I see through these parables is the approach to the lost. Jesus told these three different stories with the same theme, but each one had a different condition. And each different condition needs a different approach to the lost. You see, we do not live in a one-size-fits-all world 
our approach is determined by our audience. For the shepherd going to find their sheep, if they went out and they said, hey, I looked everywhere where I had been, would that be enough? No, because sheep wander. It's how they got in the trouble in the first place. And so you can't just look at where you've been. You need to also look where you haven't been that the sheep might go. Your approach changes depending on what you're looking for. I think that often we try and apply one approach to everyone. And again, if we're honest, it's probably more the approach of the father to the lost son. We'll go then. Oh, I tried. I I applied a biblical approach. True, you did, but to a wrong situation. We need to understand the situation that we are talking into because that will change our approach. We need to have an in-their-shoes approach, not an in-their-face approach. And to be honest with you, this is something that the authors of the Bible knew themselves. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament in 1 Corinthians, said, Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. Paul knew. Paul knew that he needed to cross over to his audience's perspective to bring them along the journey. Paul didn't change the truth. What he did do was change his approach to lead people into the truth. It's actually the same with the synoptic gospels. The what? Synoptic gospels, where are you getting that from, Ashley? The first three books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, are called the synoptic gospels. Optic as in I, syn, S-Y-N, as in synchronous. So the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, synoptic Gospels because they see together. They're very similar. They say similar things, same stories, the synoptic Gospels. However, all three of them were written with a different audience in mind. You see, Matthew, Matthew was written to the Jews, And so when you first open your Bible and you read Matthew, in the first few verses, there's a lineage there. So-and-so gave birth to so-and-so who gave birth to so-and-so who gave birth to so-and-so who gave birth to so-and-so. And And many of us go, great, skip. (laughs) Do you know that's there for a purpose? You see, Matthew was writing to Jews and the Jews knew that their Messiah was coming from the line of David. And so they needed, Matthew needed to say, hey, look, guys, this Messiah that you're waiting for, that you're looking for, that you want to come, he's here. He's right in front of you. Matthew crossed over to the audience and wrote his gospel according to that audience. Matthew was able to assume some things. Because he's writing to a Jewish audience, he can assume Jewish customs. Mark, on the other hand, Mark wasn't writing to the Jews. He was writing to the Gentiles. He was writing to the Roman citizens. 
And it would make no sense when you're talking to a Roman citizen to say, oh, well, look, can't you see that Jesus was of the line of David? They don't care. There's no point in saying to a Gentile, hey, the Messiah that you're looking for is Jesus because they're not looking for a Messiah. They don't know what they're looking for. And so because Mark knew his audience, he wrote his gospel in a way that was going to connect with that audience. Luke did the same. Luke was writing a letter to Theophilus. And in the very first verses of Luke, it says, I write an ordered account. Okay, now I know why he's writing. He's writing for an audience, a letter, an ordered account. Luke was a physician, a doctor. And so in his writings, he talks a lot about the humanity of Jesus. The Son of Man appears multiple times within the Gospel of Luke because he knew his audience and it shaped what he had to say. If the authors of the Bible can do this in the day and times that they lived, how much more important is it for us to be able to do the same thing? For the people that we're trying to talk to, that we're trying to reach... Okay, what's their condition? So what's the approach? So what do I need to say? The fourth thing that I see from these parables is the effort that went into finding the lost. You see, nothing of significance happens without significant effort. The shepherd scoured the countryside. The woman turned her house upside down. What did the father do? In the parable of the lost son, what did the father do? Nothing. No. No. I don't know any parent with a wayward child that hasn't earnestly sought God over that that hasn't prayed wanting their return, the heartbreak that comes. Scripture says, the story that Jesus said, the father saw his son when he was a long way off. He was actively looking. Is today the day? Is today the day? Is my boy coming home today? The story says that the father ran. One of the most undignified things that a property owner would do in those times. Remember, they're wearing cloaks. So he would have had to have lift his, lifted his cloak to expose his legs. Running after someone who said, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. The effort that goes into Finding the lost. Let's go back to that earthquake in Nepal. Do you know that rescue teams flew in from all over the world? It wasn't just the Nepalese. Oh, well, your earthquake, your problem, you fix it. No. Rescue teams came from all over to help. I was reading that 
During that earthquake, they tasked satellites to go over Nepal so that they could use satellite imaging to find the worst affected areas. Now, how many know that for a satellite, you can't just pull over and get gas anytime you need it? But it was of such significance that they moved satellites to be able to see it. The military sent drones, drone aircraft over to try and map the road network, to try and work out how we can get aid into where it needs to go. NASA sent over what it calls FINDER technology, really long acronym, not going into it. But in short, this FINDER technology detects heartbeats. And they found four men trapped under 10 feet of rubble alive based on their heartbeat. You see, nothing of significance happens without significant effort. A massive coordinated effort took place. But can you just think of Jesus for a moment? Jesus left heaven to come and find us. Let's be honest. We want to go to heaven. That's our end goal, right? We get to spend time and eternity with Jesus. That's where we want to be. And Jesus left that place to come and to find us. I don't know about you, but this is a huge challenge for me. I have to ask the question, how intentional am I being at finding those that are lost? I think if we're honest, many of us put a greater coordinated effort into finding cheap petrol than we do into finding the lost. Again, when we have the value of the lost that Jesus does, then we will do what Jesus did to reach them. Finally, the last thing I see from this passage of Scripture is the joy of finding the lost. Every single one of those parables ended in a party. And let's face it, it's our reaction too. There's a natural reaction in us that wants to party when we find something that's lost. Think about the joy that comes when you find your car keys. Oh, thank you. The joy that comes when you find that sneaky $20 note that was in your back pocket when it went through the wash. The joy that comes when you get your tax return back and that money that was lost is now found. Woohoo! There's always great joy when we find the lost. As we read just before, in the same way there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. In conclusion this morning, everything Jesus did was with the lost in mind. He left heaven to reach the lost. He was a friend of sinners on earth to reach the lost. He was crucified 
on a cross, taking on our sin for the lost. And when he left this earth, he gave us the same mission. In Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. Church, be sure of this, that I am with you even to the end of the age. Why does the church exist? We exist to take up the mission that Christ left us to seek and to save the lost. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 